Yeah, they were capping. Hard body. No, I, I think they were spitting facts. What did they say? What were they saying about me? They were basically calling you a donkey for saying that Josh Jacobs is the worst pick in the first two rounds. And I mean, I have to agree with them. The Josh Jacobs hate has gone too far. I just don't want a guy who is the fifth best passing option on his own team as a running back, not even as a player, as a running back. We're talking about Devontae Booker, Theo Riddick, Jalen Richard, and Lynn Bowden. Two of those guys won't even be on the Raiders come September 10th. So I don't see how that's possible. The listeners want to, you know, go and hear us talk about Josh Jacobs. Go on the DFS Dose YouTube channel where me and Benjamin discussed his running back rankings for 2020. So go ahead and check that out if you want to hear the full conversation about Josh Jacobs. Listen to me, son Joey, about the uh, the benefits of PPR uh, opposed to PPT, which is points per talent. Uh, the only reason that would lead anybody to draft Josh Jacobs in the first round. This guy. <laughs> oh, point per talent. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 83 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And today we're going to switch things up. We've been doing a ton of best ball content, getting ready to do some DFS content, but we figured we would take a break and focus on redraft, which is ultimately still the most popular form of fantasy football. You know, People doing their home leagues, playing with friends, playing with family, you know, the the general fantasy player, you know, the people who are just tuning in at the end of August, you know, maybe they haven't been following every single bit of news and transaction that's gone on. So we're going to just sort of get people ready for that. We're going to talk about our favorite and least favorite picks in every single round, rounds one through 16. And uh, this will be a two-parter so that it's not a two-hour podcast. We'll do the first eight rounds today, and we're going to drop a bonus podcast for you guys tomorrow where we cover the second half of the draft in terms of just a general redraft primer. So make sure you are subscribed on all podcast platforms so you don't miss that. And while we're on the subject, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast? As always, you could support the DFS Dose by just doing what Ben just said. Uh, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, the DFS Dose is there. So go ahead and subscribe on those platforms or follow, depending on which one you use, obviously. And then you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the DFS Dose. Then obviously you can go ahead and check out Ben's rankings that I mentioned in the intro at the DFS Dose dot com he has his quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end rankings for 2020 all published on the dfsdose.com so go ahead and check those out and that is the best way to support us also subscribe to the youtube channel that's a given we're we're going to be pumping out a lot of video content for 2020 which is really exciting so go ahead and subscribe on YouTube, and it helps us out a lot. So subscribe on the YouTube, and yeah, just you know, just give us a follow. Yeah, and one more final way, a new way that you can help us out is if you are drafting on Underdog Fantasy, use promo code DOS, D-O-S. 
SE when making your first deposit. It's not really going to give you anything. Like you're not going to get a crazy bonus, but we appreciate it. And, you know, it'll just show underdog that our listeners care. And, you know, it might prompt them to hook us up in the future. You know, we won't talk about that now, but let's just say we've got some things in the works. So we would really appreciate anything that you guys could do in terms of that. If you're playing on underdog, just use promo code DOS when you make your deposit. It's that easy. Yeah, all you have to do is deposit $5. You know, you don't have to deposit thousands of dollars on underdog, just $5. Enter the promo code DOS, like Ben just mentioned, and it helps us out a lot. Absolutely. Let's kick it off with the redraft primer, and we're going to start with the beginning. You know, before you even make your first selection, you're going to be looking at where you're drafting. And we're going to talk about this in the context of a 12-team league. I think that's the pretty much, you know, the standard format across the industry. So, Joey, if you got your choice, you know, you could pick. Where would you pick to draft in a 12-team league right now? Yeah, so, I mean, in a lot of leagues, you can uh, choose your spot depending on how your commissioner does the draft order selection, which we've done a couple years in our home league and I always end up finding myself finding myself picking between the 104 and the 106. For me it's just one of my favorite spots to pick. You're guaranteed a top 6 running back with that early spot and I think that's more beneficial to have than having a later pick. Um I will say I do like the 101 because you get Christian McCaffrey, but I also am very impatient and don't like waiting 27 picks between each pick, uh, which which just hurts my soul. Uh, so the 101 is kind of wishy-washy for me, but if I had to pick, I would either choose the 104 or the 106 if I could choose anywhere to draft in the first round. Yeah, I agree with you. My favorite spot is the 104. I think it guarantees you really one of those top four guys, and that's really the tier that we look at. I don't mind the 105 either because, truthfully, I believe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to be in that group of guys that I really want to get exposure to. Yeah, maybe a slight tier drop there from Kamara and Zeke to CEH, but I absolutely love that and would be happy to get him this year in the first round. I think for me, the worst spot, the spot that I want absolutely no exposure to is really the end of the first round because I think it really forces you almost to draft a wide receiver in the first. And I just don't think that's optimal in 2020. And we'll talk more about roster construction as this podcast develops. But, you know, really, I think getting one of those top four or five running backs this year more than ever is such an edge. So, yeah, I really like one of the top four picks. And I'm not crazy about being forced to take Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams because by the time you get to the end of the first round, top of the second, that's that's almost like a lock for you unless you're just going to draft, I don't know, Josh Jacobs or, or <laughs> Kelsey maybe or something like that. And, I mean, I had – the 108 in an underdog draft earlier today, and Michael Thomas fell to me at 8, and that's where he's going now at his current ADP. And I, I felt like I had to take him there, and I kind of benefited from the fact that Kenyon Drake fell to me in the second round, someone that we've seen consistently go at the end of the first round. He ended up falling to me in the second round with my second pick, so I kind of lucked out there. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't necessarily like the end of the first round although we may have the unpopular opinion on this because from what i've seen across the fantasy community and fantasy twitter a lot of people 
do like the late round picks and they don't and they don't like the middle round picks. So so we might be on the unpopular side with this one. But you know what? We're going to be on the winning side. That's true. Let's get into these these rounds. And uh, starting off with the first round, Joey, give me your favorite pick to make in the first round. Yeah, so my favorite pick out of the guys going <laughs> at their current ADPs is Miles Sanders. Um, I think he just has the opportunity this year to become a bell cow running back in the Eagles offense with a good head coach who always has a good offense, Carson Wentz, who I believe is a top 10 quarterback in real life and in fantasy. And the Eagles, you know, there's just a lot of opportunity for Miles Sanders there to assume the bell cow role. And I would project for him to get at least 20 touches per game. And that's not even, you know, talking about his elite receiving upside, which he's shown in his young career so far. So Miles Sanders is definitely my favorite pick for all of the traits and and qualities that I mentioned. Yeah, I love Sanders as well. Definitely one of the guys that I'd be looking at over those wide receivers we just mentioned if I were to find myself in the latter half of the first round with my first pick. For me, you know, I kept it simple. I didn't want to go with Christian McCaffrey because like that's way too obvious, but right below him, Saquon Barkley, who's consistently going with the second pick. You know, you rarely ever see him make it to three. And I just love Saquon. I think that he has the ability to have a workload that is going to be as prolific as McCaffrey's was last year. And it's so hard for guys to repeat year after year as the, you know, top guy at their respective positions. So for me, you know, if I'm going to take a bet on any player to be the RB1 overall, that's not Christian McCaffrey, it's going to be Saquon. Absolutely love him. It's just very difficult to get him because you basically need to have the second pick. So you got about a one out of 12 chance of landing Saquon. Um, and that kind of sucks, but I do love Barkley this year. And then I'll just transition because my my least favorite pick of round one is pretty obvious. We talked about it in the open. I've talked about it on Twitter for like two weeks straight. Did a dedicated video to it on Drafters Fantasy's YouTube channel. And that's Josh Jacobs, who is going exactly with the last pick of round one, uh, the, t- the 12th pick, according to Underdog ADP. And uh, yeah, that's just a stone cold fade for reasons Mm -hmm. that I've mentioned across multiple platforms. And in summation, it's just that I think that he is a first and second down running back exclusively. And he's going ahead of guys like Austin Eckler, who has 80 catch upside. And I just don't want any exposure whatsoever to Josh Jacobs this year. And I could see the receiving argument. Obviously, they have said over the course of the last, you know, six, seven months that they want Josh Jacobs to transition into a workhorse running back, but all of the moves that the Raiders have made have made it seem like they don't want him out there catching passes. So I guess it's whether or not you believe guys like Theo Riddick and Devontae Booker and, you know, Lynn Bowden, who they drafted, and Jalen Richard are going to factor into Josh Jacobs workload which personally I don't think they will so I don't mind Josh Jacobs I actually think he is one of the more talented running backs in the NFL uh, and I, I think he has a shot at you know hitting 1500 total yards this year 
And if he can score like eight to 10 touchdowns, I think he will easily finish as a RB1 in 2020. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are on that bandwagon with you because, you know, anytime you speak ill of Josh Jacobs, it's just all vitriol <laughs> coming your way. Trust me. I know. So I think that you're definitely in the majority there. Let's go round two. Keep it moving. Your favorite pick going from pick 13 to pick 24. Who is it? Yeah, so I think we're pretty consensus in round two on who our favorite and least favorite picks in this round are. And I think the the easy pick here is Devontae Adams in the in the second round. I'm um, going mm-hmm. at an ADP of 13. So, you know, the first pick in the second round. And it's like we've mentioned, it's just opportunity. He has a legitimate path to 160 plus targets this year with nobody else in the Packers offense that will command a heavy target share. It's that simple. I mean, I'm not a fan of Lazard, although, you know, camp reports have been saying he's, you know, been extremely good so far in camp, but I'm not high on Lazard. MVS is still an unknown. And then they have Equanium. I can't even say his name, so I'm not even going to try. But St. Brown as, you know, their wide receiver four. And then Jay Sternberger is their tight end one now. So there's nobody that will command targets. And Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers is as lethal a duo as they come in the NFL. So give me all of the Devontae Adams in round two. But we could easily see him go in round one. And we have the entire offseason. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that is who I had as well as my favorite pick and I believe that we have the same least favorite pick as well. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so on the same team, Aaron Jones, uh going at an ADP of eighteen point four, and he's being drafted as the RB fourteen. Now Aaron Jones finished as the RB two in PPR leagues last year due to his crazy touchdown year last year of eighteen touchdowns. He had multiple four touchdown games last year and I think we could just expect that to regress not to mention the Packers went out and drafted AJ Dillon in the second round and AJ Dillon is basically a smaller version of Derrick Henry and I think LaFleur wants to implement the power running scheme in Green Bay I I think Aaron Jones is a top six top seven running back in terms of talent but it's not what I think it's about what you know, we think the coaches are going to do. And I think that LaFleur is going to play A.J. Dillon. And he's shown that he will not give Aaron Jones a full workload. So for that reason, he's a full fade to me in the second round. Completely agree with that. Um, You know, Aaron Jones, to put it in perspective, 36.2% of his fantasy production came from the touchdowns that he scored. And you look at some of the other elite running backs in the NFL, guys like McCaffrey, I mean, that number was all the way down at 26, right? So, you know, 10% lower. And it just goes to show that that is what you look for in terms of a consistent running back is guys who can do it in ways other than touchdowns because touchdowns are so fluky year to year. And I think you're spot on with the LaFleur analysis because when you think about it, right, he was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee during Derrick Henry's breakout. So yeah, he's going to go and look for a guy who can do that for him in his elevated role. Yeah, I I don't think that A.J. Dillon, although the fantasy community and like draft community all think that it was a reach and he shouldn't have gone as high as he did. Well, doesn't matter what we think. LaFleur thinks that he has the potential to provide that Henry-like aspect to the Packers offense. And so he's going to get a shot. So it's really that simple to me. And I'll be fading Aaron Jones in the second round. Uh, if I weren't to pick Devontae Adams as my favorite pick, I think I would go with Travis Kelsey. 
uh, or George Kittle, frankly, because especially in redraft, which I look at completely differently from best ball, where we talk a lot about upside mattering and floor being almost irrelevant, in my opinion, when it comes to best ball, I, I think that redraft floor matters quite a bit. And having a guy like Kelsey or a guy like Kittle to give you that weekly floor ceiling combo at a scarce position like tight end gives you an edge in a head-to-head matchup Mm -hmm. every single week in redraft. So I absolutely love spending a second round pick on one of those two tight ends. If I miss out on Adams and I have to look at Kelsey or Kittle, you know, towards the mid range of that second round, I'm very happy with that. And I'll oftentimes pick those guys over the wide receivers who are going like Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins, because I think that you can find wide receivers with similar upside in the third round and there's just no tight ends or very few tight ends that you could even argue have the upside that Kittle or Kelsey has but I know that you disagree on this point and you have traditionally for you know years now as long as you and I have been playing fantasy together you've been on on the bandwagon of not spending you know first or second round picks on tight ends you want to speak to that there is historical data that points to a clear-cut edge in drafting a tight end early. I will say that. So I do agree with you in terms of that. But I think especially in 2020, there are so many tight ends now that are viable in the later rounds. I am not comfortable spending a second-round pick on a guy like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. I mean, this tight end pool is as deep as we've ever seen it. And you can get a guy like Chris Herndon, who we'll get to later, or Ian Thomas, um, even like Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst. You can get those guys past round 10. So I'd rather go that route instead of spending an early round second pick on a tight end when I could get, you know, another workhorse running back or I can get an elite wide receiver one like DeAndre Hopkins or Chris Godwin. So I guess that's just my thought process. But I don't disagree if you go the Travis Kelsey or George Kittle route because they are phenomenal players, obviously, and they give you an edge in fantasy. So that, That's fair. I guess it just comes down to personal preference. Let's keep it moving, talking round three. And uh, I'll start off here. My favorite pick in round three is Kenny Galladay. I, I just think that Galladay has upside as high as any wide receiver in the NFL. I wouldn't be shocked to see him finish you know, as the wide receiver one overall, and I would be surprised if he finished lower than 10. So I think that his floor ceiling combo is just absolutely elite. If he gets 16 games of Stafford there with really only, you know, a 30-year-old Marvin Jones and and a potentially emerging TJ Hawkinson to contend with for targets there, I just think sky's the limit. He's going at 25.3 really with the first pick of the third round. And anytime that I've gotten the 101 in a draft, If I can leave that with Christian McCaffrey, Kenny Galladay, and then a third player that I like, I mean, I'm just soaring. I absolutely love it. So Galladay's my guy for round three. Yeah, and I like Galladay a lot this year as well. I think the Lions offense has a lot of potential, especially with a healthy Stafford this year and some of the other pieces that they have in that offense. So I like the Lions offense a lot in general. Kenny Galladay has shown that he can be an elite wide receiver one in the NFL. So I like Kenny Galladay in the third round a lot. Yeah. Who's your guy for round three? So my guy for round three, and this may come as surprising, but it's Lamar Jackson. Um, Interesting. Now I know there is a lot of, is it debate? I, I don't know if it's a debate, but a lot of people, you know, agree with the fact that you should not draft a quarterback early 
in one quarterback leagues. And I, you know, would agree unless it's Lamar Jackson. Um, Lamar Jackson is a guy that is going to give you quarterback one numbers and running back one numbers on a weekly basis. This is a player that we've never you know, seen before in the NFL and fantasy football. Last year, obviously, had a career year, an MVP year, and I don't see how these teams can stop him. I, I've came around to the fact that he's just an elite playmaker with one of the best head coaches in the NFL and one of the best running schemes in the NFL with the Ravens. So I do like Lamar Jackson a lot in the third round. And just to provide some context, I drafted him in the third round in one of the drafts on underdog uh, where I had the second pick. So I ended up getting Saquon and I drafted Lamar Jackson at 3.2. And some guys that went after him were Jonathan Taylor, Amari Cooper, Chris Carson, James Conner, Le'Veon Bell. So when it comes down to it, I'm going to take the better player in that situation. And Lamar Jackson is just, you know, a way better player than all of those guys that I just listed, just in terms of fantasy football. So I, I love Lamar Jackson. I'm starting to come around to him. Um, And I'll never argue with taking Lamar Jackson. I think Mahomes, when it comes to me and drafting Patrick Mahomes and fantasy in the third round, in best ball, it really comes down to whether or not I have either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey exiting the second round, because yep. I think that it's important to link your results. And, and I just don't want to do that if, you know, I have no Chiefs exposure and the guys that you can get in the later rounds, like Watkins and Hardman, not a fan of either of them at their ADPs. So not realistically looking to, you know, pair Mahomes with some of the later options. And, and it really becomes dependent on that. Honestly, I think I feel the same way in redraft. I would be much more likely to target Mahomes if I have Kelsey or Hill coming out of the second, and otherwise, I'll probably just wait on quarterback. I rarely draft Lamar Jackson just on a, a math and statistical basis. I think it's really going to be difficult for him to repeat that historic season that he put up last year. But he's also so unique, like Joey was saying, and something we've never seen that I could be totally wrong. And I'm never going to say anybody is wrong for drafting Lamar Jackson. In round three, I will say that you were wrong if you draft Chris Carson in round three at 30.9, his current ADP. And that's just going to be a hard fade for me. And, you know, Joey and I talked about this extensively on the running back rankings video that you can find on YouTube. The audio of that will be in this podcast feed within the next day or two as well. So make sure you check that out if, if you want to hear some in-depth thoughts on these guys. But what it comes down to with Carson for me is that I just think that his upside is capped. I think that he had a really strong season last year, and that was enough to make him a bottom and RB1, like the running back 12, I think, maybe running back 11, if I'm if I'm mistaken. But, you know, I, I think that you're taking him ahead of guys in that ADP range, guys like Odell Beckham or Allen Robinson, guys who can really have transformative league changing seasons. And I just don't think Chris Carson has that. He's a safe floor play, but he is not a guy whose upside is going to win you your league. And I just prioritize upside in the early rounds more so than anything yeah and you know he may not have running back one overall upside in his range of outcomes you know for 2020 due to his lack of receptions uh, or projected receptions I should say but this is a guy in the third round 
that, you know, you could project for him to have anywhere between 275 touches to 300 touches. And it's all about how you want to prioritize your team. And I think the general consensus strategy in 2020 is to target your workhorse running backs. And because wide receiver is so deep this year out of all years, you can wait until, you know, round four and round five and get a guy like Terry McLaurin or Calvin Ridley or even Adam Thielen as your wide receiver one while you stack up on your workhorse running backs because it's all about are you going to be able to get a 300 touch running back in the ninth round? No, you're not. Can you possibly get a 100 plus target wide receiver in the ninth round? Yes, you can. Julian Edelman is going in the in the eighth, ninth round. You know, got a guy like Sterling Shepard who could who could see a hundred targets. Darius Slayton, you know, a guy that we love. You can get those hundred targets in the ninth round. You can get three hundred touches from a running back in the ninth round. So that's where I'm at on Chris Carson. I think he is a solid pick and redraft, um, especially if you prioritize your running backs getting the most amount of touches as possible. All right, let's keep it pushing round. Four. And I think that this is where a lot of leagues are going to be won and lost. Personally, I think that there's some real amazing picks you can make in the fourth round and just some absolute duds. So so what's your round four uh, favorite pick to target? Yeah, so my favorite pick in round four is Calvin Ridley, the receiver that I just mentioned. And I think he just has wide receiver one upside in an offense that loves to throw the ball. I mean, all reports have been saying out of camp that Kelvin Ridley has been excellent. You know, he's put on a couple pounds of muscle, which is obviously encouraging. He's gotten bigger, stronger, faster as a player coming into his year three. And I fully expect him to have a breakout year this year. So Kelvin Ridley is by far my favorite wide receiver to target in round four besides scary terry and scary terry is the guy that i chose here going at pick 45.5 i do love calvin ridley i'll say that i would always rather be out on a on an elite older player a year sooner than a year too late and that's how i feel about julio jones i felt that way last year as well and julio kind of you know continued being dominant so you know eventually if i just fade julio for the next five years eventually i'll be right so i'm i'm on i'm right there with you i'm on the calvin rinley bandwagon but when it comes to terry mclaurin f1 scary terry in the fourth round i mean this is a guy who could be top five in the nfl in targets legitimately i mean there aren't very few options on the washington football team to throw the ball i mean they've got Terry McLaurin, clear, dominant, alpha, amazing rookie season, overflowing with talent every time he touches the ball, touches the field, runs a route. And then they've got Steven Sims and like Anthony Gandy Golden or whatever. No, no shot. Logan Thomas, who I'm coming around to, thanks to you and, and the way that you've been talking him up. And then a bunch of running backs who are probably going to eat off each other. I mean, Terry McLaurin is just going to be so dominant in terms of his target share. And he's shown that he's explosive and he is a deep threat and he's a danger all over the field. There's absolutely nothing not to love about McLaurin. I could see him being, you know, a second round pick next year in fantasy and in the fourth round and the season he's about to put up absolute value. (laughs) Yeah. I love Terry McLaurin. Him and Calvin Ridley are essentially tied as my favorite player in the fourth round to target now in the fourth round players that were not targeting well a specific position 
I should say I'm not targeting is running back. And these are the guys like Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, and David Montgomery. I am not drafting any of those running backs in redraft, especially with those wide receivers still sitting on the board. If we want to talk about upside, I feel like their upsides are are very limited in 2020. Um, Le'Veon Bell is on a terrible offense. Melvin Gordon is going to be splitting time with Philip Lindsay, a true grinder, somebody who's not going to give up the starting job that easy. And David Johnson is just washed. So yeah, I'm, I'm staying away from the running backs and, and targeting all the wide receivers in round four. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I would sub Leonard Fournette in that list and, and remove David Johnson, who, I mean, come on, David Johnson washed, you know, no upside, please. Those things don't apply to him. But Le'Veon Bell, on the other hand, a man who was once the most captivating talent at running back in the league a few years ago, coming back for his second year after hiatus, is just a guy who I don't think you can draft, especially at this point. I mean, he's going to get his 60 receptions. You know, he is, but he's not going to score very many touchdowns with a Jets team that has arguably the worst defense in the NFL. They're going to get shredded through the air each and every single week. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't see it. He'll have his receptions, but the touchdowns and and the efficiency on the ground is going to be extremely low. You know, the coaches love Frank Gore at age like 45 or whatever it is at this point. And and I just won't be drafting Le'Veon Bell, period. Yeah, I I agree with the whole Le'Veon Bell spiel. Talk about round five, which in a recent podcast you declared was the worst round in fantasy. And yeah, a couple episodes ago, I talked about how round five is, you know, the clear cut stone worst round to draft in in uh, 2020 out of the top 10 rounds. And just look at these players, you know, just they're they're just not good. They're not good players. I feel like the the guys that are being drafted in this round should be six, seventh round picks. They shouldn't be fifth round picks. Like, I don't think Devontae Parker should be a fifth round pick this year. I don't think Cortland Sutton should be a fifth round pick. I don't think Mark Ingram should be in the top 20. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Just no, thank you. I don't want any part of this tier. And I guess if I had to pick one player that I like out of this tier, it would be Will Fuller. We've just seen him explode for career ceiling games with Deshaun Watson, and then obviously no DeAndre Hopkins there anymore. Will Fuller is the clear-cut one in Houston as it stands right now, although we kind of do agree that Brandon Cooks is going to fight for that wide receiver one spot in Houston, but Will Fuller has shown an enormous ceiling in the games that he's played, and I know he struggled to stay healthy, but if I had to pick a player that I would target in the fifth round, it would be Will Fuller. Yeah, and you mentioned his name. I'll start off with the guy I would have absolutely no exposure to. Which we agree to, and That's on. a man named yeah, Mark Ingram. Yeah. I agree with Joey. He's really not draftable in fantasy, period, in my opinion, especially considering that, you know, the Ravens set all types of records for, you know, being the run heaviest team, you know, in the last 20 years or whatever it is. And Mark Ingram had like one game with over 20 carries. So they go out and they add an extremely overly talented running back in J.K. Dobbins in the second round. And Lamar Jackson's going to get his. They've still got Gus the Bus Edwards, a man you can go to war with on that team and and yeah I just don't see it for Ingram his touches are coming down and probably by a lot if J.K. Dobbins is anything close to what he's advertised as so no thank you on Mark Ingram and one point I will make about round five I agree for the most part with Joey I think there's a steep 
fall off right at the top of round five. So two things on that. One, I think that that goes back to our point that we started the podcast off with. Getting a top four pick in a draft will help you in this fifth round because you are more likely to get one of those guys who maybe should have gone in round four fall to you in round five because halfway through round five, the teardrop is just immense. You know, you go from players that you would love to draft to guys who could easily be seventh round picks. So again, top half of the draft pick really starts to benefit you in this fifth round. And the other thing I'll say is that, you know, we're referring to underdog fantasies, you know, ADP right now. A lot of you out there, if you're playing in a friends and family league, you know, a casual league with people who aren't grinding fantasy the way that maybe you are if you're listening to this podcast, I think that the ADP in those leagues is going to be softer. So you might have the chance to get some guys that, you know, we're talking about as fourth round picks, guys that have, you know, fourth round ADP on a site like Underdog with a lot of pros and serious players and people who are putting real money on this. Um, you know, that ADP is going to be incredibly sharp. So, yeah. you know, if you know, you're playing in a, in a casual league and that ADP is a little less sharp, you might, uh, you know, not feel quite a, as down on round five as Joey and I do coming from the perspective of guys who are playing in money leagues and, and playing with guys pros and, and such. But for me, I'll stop rambling. The, the guy that I love the most in this round five, uh, you know, range is Kareem Hunt. I'm all aboard Kareem Hunt. I want to be on the Kareem Hunt train this year. And for a fifth round pick, I'm all about it. I think that he has standalone value. We we saw him come back last year in week 10 or whatever it was for the Browns and just immediately usurp all of the pass game role that Nick Chubb had. And I think that he's going to continue to have that role in the offense. I'm bullish on the Browns offense in general, bouncing back after a disappointing year. And Kareem Hunt offers a unique level of week-to-week viability and also the upside of being the RB1 overall in fantasy if anything were ever to happen to Chubb. So yeah, just ultra talented guy who, you know, fell out of favor because of off the field stuff. But in this current situation, at this price point, 56 overall in ADP, I'm loading up on Hunt this year. Yeah, I mean, Kareem Hunt is a top 12 running back in terms of talent. One of the better running backs in the NFL. Just unfortunate that you know, he signed with a team that already has a bona fide RB1. But like you mentioned, Cream Hunt has standalone value, and I do like him as well in the fifth round. So, all right, give me your round six best and worst picks or favorite and least favorite. So, my least favorite player in round six is Ronald Jones, who is being drafted as the RB29 at an ADP of 62.3. And I guess it's just as simple as this. Ronald Jones is not a good running back. He is trash. Put on the tape, he sucks. It's it's that simple for me. We could look into the stats. 724 rushing yards last year. 31 catches for 309 yards last year. You know, solid numbers. Got over 1,000 total yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, this man is just garbage. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just a garbage player on a team that's going to throw the ball a lot. So no on Ronald Jones for me. Uh, How do you feel about Ronald Jones this year? You know, I keep finding myself buying into the Ronald Jones hype and then stopping when I realize that he's absolutely trash. And the only reason that people are coming around to him is because of the expectation that the Bucks are going to be a prolific offense and, and there's like not too much competition. You know, everyone was super high on Keyshawn Vaughn and he missed some camp and, you know, they're really just thinking, all right, it's Ronald Jones job now. But the thing is, is that Ronald Jones was in an amazing offense last year, and he was still doo-doo. 
So I don't see what's really going to be different. I I would draft Ronald Jones if he were going two rounds later, but no, not, not around some of the guys he's going in. I'm right there with you. He's, he's one of the worst picks that you can make in the sixth round, I believe. Yeah. I'm just staying away from that Tampa Bay backfield in general. So no on Ronald Jones for me, but a player that I like in the sixth round is T.Y. Hilton. Uh, So he's being drafted as the wide receiver 27 and he was hurt this past season. He ended up only having 501 yards and five touchdowns on the year. And I think with Phillip Rivers taking over as a starting quarterback in Indianapolis for Jacoby Brissett, I think T.Y. Hilton becomes a new Keenan Allen for Phillip Rivers. And Phillip Rivers has been one of my favorite players this entire season. If the listeners have listened to any of the best ball episodes we've done, I think I've mentioned Phillip Rivers at least one time. I, I just love the Colts offense this year. And I love T.Y. Hilton this year, and I just don't see how he doesn't outperform his wide receiver 27 ADP. I mean, this dude has one of the bigger ceilings uh, in terms of wide receiver in fantasy football. I I like it as well. I mean, I think that his ADP is somewhat fair because they did add Michael Pittman with a high draft pick. Paris Campbell's a guy that we both like and is, you know, profiles extremely similarly to Hilton, but I think will have a different role this year being primarily used in the slot uh, opposed to sort of like the deep threat perimeter guy that Hilton is. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a clear cut quarterback upgrade from Brissett to Rivers. So yeah, I'm right there with you as him being one of the best picks. My favorite and least favorite picks in round six, I think are super interesting and they both have the same exact ADP 64.6 and they're both on the same team, uh, but they play different positions and that's Dak Prescott as my favorite pick and Michael Gallup as my least favorite pick. Now you might be thinking, wait, does, how does that make sense? If you're super bullish on Prescott, how can you be down on Gallup? Well, the thing is, is that I think that all of the Cowboys wide receivers are going to somewhat cap each other's upside on a season-long basis. I think all of them are going to have really strong weeks here and there, but I think that really the ultimate you know exposure you can get is to Dak Prescott, who has one of the best cores around him. He's got a good offensive line. He's got a good running game. And Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb might be the best trio of wide receivers in the NFL right now. So I'm super bullish on what Prescott can do. I think that he offers a really similar you know, type of floor ceiling to, you know, the top two guys in Mahomes and Jackson, but he's going way later, uh, you know, four rounds later. And I think that he's just, I mean, he's my QB three and I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the QB one overall this year. And, and in terms of Gallup, it's just the fact that I think Amari Cooper's the clear cut one right now. And I think CeeDee Lamb is the most talented wide receiver on this roster. I think Gallup is the odd man out, even though he is extremely talented. I think that he could be a wide receiver one on another team. It's just not a good situation for him to flourish in this spot. I I can definitely see where you're coming from. I think that Gallup is a talented wide receiver as you do, but I also think there is enough targets to go around in that Dallas Cowboys offense, especially with Mike McCarthy there who has been known to favor the passing game over the running game. Uh, So I think there's enough targets to go around to feed Gallup, Lamb, and Amari Cooper this year. And I mean, he had 66 catches on 113 targets. So that is, what, 47 missed opportunities 
last year, whether those be drops or incomplete passes or, or terrible passes, I should say. Um, I, I think there's a lot of room for Gallup to improve in that Cowboys offense. So I don't think he is the worst pick in this round, but I also don't think he's the best. And I agree with everything that you said about Dak. I think he obviously is a top five fantasy quarterback. And I like taking him in this round, especially if you already have exposure to Amari Cooper, uh, which you would have drafted in, you know, like the third or second round. So, so we got we're gonna do two more rounds to close out this podcast, seven and eight, real quick though. You know, we are now in the range where it's time to make some serious roster construction decisions. And a lot of that's gonna be based on how you started your draft. You know, are you gonna be looking to get a mid-range tight end in this spot? Are you going to be looking to, you know, draft some running backs if you went wide receiver heavy? So just give me a few general thoughts you have on roster construction. You know, what are the builds you like to be? Where would you like to be ideally in a draft right now? Say we're in a draft, we're done with the sixth round. What would you like your, you know, positional allocations to be at this point in in an optimal situation? Yeah, so my optimal position allocation would have to be three and three, three running backs and three wide receivers. That's how I would like it to be at this point in the draft. I would want to have at least, you know, exposure to two workhorse running backs, and then hopefully I can sneak out a third one. But if not, I can target, you know, a guy like Kareem Hunt in the fifth round as my RB3 and be fine with that. And then I would look to target three wide receivers Obviously, you can get high-end, elite, wide receiver ones at the end of the second round if you want to go that route, and even in the early third round. So I'd target at least one or two of those guys as well, and then look to get a solid wide receiver three in the sixth round. That's how I would attack the top six rounds. And then after that, I guess it all depends how you value tight ends. Obviously, some people are strictly light tight end only. Um, I think this year there there is some value in drafting some of these tight ends that you know you'll draft in the next part of the podcast uh, in the tenth round, eleventh round with guys that I mentioned earlier. But yeah, at this point, three running backs, three wide receivers for me, going nice and balanced. For me, on the other hand, uh, look, I've done about two hundred or so best ball drafts up to this point and my favorite teams the ones that I love the most looking at afterwards are zero modified uh running back teams and you know that's basically a take on zero rb which right it's traditionally you don't draft a running back with your first six picks well i think that that is kind of silly but i think that what you can do is alter that strategy by you know drafting your surefire elite running back one in the first round Ideally, you're getting one of those top four or five guys, you know, CMC, Barkley, Kamara, Zeke, somebody like that. And then you basically just wait on running back and you hammer running backs in the mid to late rounds. And you just get a bunch of guys that you can plug and play depending on the situation, the matchup, the injuries in front of them uh, as your RB2s and you let it ride and you, you know, you play the matchups and you use your knowledge in that way to create an edge. And so ideally through six rounds, I would like to have a running back, an elite tight end, Kittle or Kelsey in the second round, and then hammer wide receivers with the next four picks. So it'd be one RB, one tight end and four wide receivers. That is the optimal strategy in my opinion for 2020, a little bit different than Joey's, but it's just, I absolutely love 
you know, all the running backs that are in ambiguous situations and trying to to capitalize on that. So so I'm going zero modified RB this year when I can. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's, you know, a bad strategy. I just think there's more value in securing, you know, your running back's workload rather than taking a shot on a guy who might not provide you any value at all if you're going the zero RB route. Um, it's just like DraftKings, you know, cash games. We want to lock in workloads. You know, we want that that floor and that upside with these top running backs and, you know, their 20 to 25 touch projected roles. So I'm looking at that, especially in redraft, especially in redraft. I want my running backs to have a lot of touches because they score you the most fantasy points. So that's the way I'm going. But I also could see going, you know, robust running back or zero running back, depending on where you draft and, you know, what players fall to you. Because obviously guys are going above ADP, guys are going below ADP. So a lot of it also depends on the context of the draft. Yeah. And again, like this isn't the kind of thing that you go in thinking ahead of time, right? Yeah. It's, it's something that you adapt to. Like, I'm not going to draft a running back in the first round. I'm going to do, you know, a wide receiver, but you have a top four pick. Okay. Well, that's just dumb. Like you need to take the top assets and same goes, you know, reverse. Like I want to take a running back, but you have the last pick and Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams are there at the turn. Like, yeah, you just got to do it. So, you know, be adaptive, I think is the number one asset that you can have as a fantasy player, but uh, being cognizant of how to build your rosters with these different strategies that have proven to be successful is also important. Let's close it out though. Two more rounds to get through for this episode of the podcast. Round seven, your favorite pick to target. Yeah. So for round seven, my favorite pick to target is Brandon Cooks. And I talked about him a little bit with the Wolf Fuller segment, but Brandon Cooks is being drafted as what? The wide receiver 35 this year. I will literally quit fantasy football if he finishes either at wide receiver 35 or below wide receiver 35. This man will finish as a wide receiver too if he plays all 16 games. And last year was the only year where he's missed time in his career or significant time I should say fourth team in his career which is concerning obviously he's been passed around a lot uh which which is not encouraging but I think Brandon Cooks is still a solid player and you know he's gonna fight Will Fuller for that wide receiver one position in Houston and with DeAndre Hopkins gone like I mentioned with Will Fuller there's is a lot of targets a lot of opportunity to go around and then I'm not high on guys like Kenny Stills or Randall Cobb. I think it's the Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks show. So give me all of the Brandon Cooks in round seven. And you know, you could probably get him later in your home leagues. Obviously, I, I was gonna bring it up, but like I would say in our league, out of us twelve, there's three of us that, you know, actually are grinding rankings and, and projections. Probably even two of us at this point, just me and you, uh that are that are grinding projections. A lot of them are gonna Download the ESPN rankings and draft yeah. based off that. You know, my boy Tim is coming yeah. with the printed out Matthew <laughs> Barry rankings. Yeah, so a lot of the people in your redraft leagues are going to come with the basic ESPN rankings. And, you know, I, I haven't looked at those at all because I'm not a donkey. So I have no idea where Brandon Cooks is ranked on there. But a lot of these guys that we're talking about are, are going to be available in the later round. So I wouldn't be surprised if you can 
grab Brandon Cooks in the 10th round, 11th round, where he was going two months ago, three months ago. So Yeah, that's fair. And, and I'll say right off the bat that Cooks is my favorite guy for all the reasons you mentioned as well in this range. Absolutely love him. Wouldn't be surprised to see him outproduce Will Fuller over the season as well. And then my least favorite pick in this round is Deontay Johnson. And Look, Johnson is a guy that if you asked me at the end of last season, you know, are you going to be high on him next year? I would have thought that I was. But the more that I looked into this and the more I thought about the situation in general, I'm just not. You know, I'm a Juju Smith truther at this point. You know, I can't believe that, you know, one year that Big Ben missed basically the entire year was enough to make people move on from Juju and and be like, wow, maybe Juju's actually not that good. Maybe he was only good as the number two behind Antonio Brown. Stop it. Juju Smith-Schuster flashed top five wide receiver talent as like a 22-year-old. This kid is 23, and he's coming into a situation where Big Ben is going to be leaning on players that he's familiar with. So I think Juju is far and away the clear alpha for the Steelers. And then I don't really know what makes Deontay Johnson so much more appealing than James Washington. I mean, Deontay Johnson has no chemistry with Big Ben. James Washington at least has some. Washington really sort of, you know, elevated his play in the second half of the year from weeks 8 to 17 last year. Johnson and James Washington had the exact same fantasy points per game at 11.1 over the second half of the year. So, you know, I'm not going to be investing a seventh round pick on a guy like Johnson when you can get Washington seven rounds later. I just don't see it. I think that it's a situation where you're paying up on pure speculation and faulty logic. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the Deontay Johnson hype comes from, you know, the flashy plays that he had last year and James Washington just wasn't flashy. Uh, I think that's the sole reason for the ADP discrepancy between them two, even though James Washington was arguably the better wide receiver. And you can make a case that he is the wide receiver two in the Steelers offense behind Juju. So I'm on board with fading Deontay Johnson this year. But I just want to mention real quick that although Deontay Johnson is in this tier, by far the worst pick that you can make in this round is McCole Hardman. <laughs> I just do not see why people are drafting this man in the seventh round. Like, what are we doing here? This is a guy that is at best, at best, the fifth option for Patrick Mahomes to look to. And I know he's fast. You know, he has a lot of, uh, he doesn't even have a lot of upside. He he is a flashy player. A lot of people compare him to Tyreek Hill. Maybe they make it a point to get him the ball more, but I just don't see how he has more targets than obviously Kelsey. Tyreek Hill, even Sammy Watkins, who's the wide receiver too, and even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I just don't see how he has more targets than them. And, you know, he had 41 targets last year for 26 catches, and I think I would project for him to see around 50 targets this year. Uh, I will say he is in one of the best offenses in the NFL, obviously. And if somebody gets injured in front of him, he, you know, he could easily smash his ADP at this point. But as it stands right now, I'm not drafting McCole Hardman in the seventh round. I think that's just a terrible pick. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah, you're definitely becoming a known me Cole Hardman hater. And at this ADP, I'm right there with you. I liked him when he was going in the the 10th and 11th round three months ago because of what you said like you know the fact that if you know Watkins goes down or Hill goes down he could be an every snap player but I mean there's really not a definitive answer that he's even ahead of Demarcus Robinson on that on that I, yeah too. I don't think he is ahead of Demarcus Robinson so that's another guy who's going to be on the field instead of him 
And I will say in redraft, I don't think anybody is going to be drafting McCole Hardman in the top seven rounds. That is just where he's going an underdog. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And then, you know, I I think I can speak for both of us when I say that our favorite pick as a podcast and and as two human beings with eyes and good logic is that Darius Slayton is the best pick you could possibly make. Oh, yeah, for sure. In the eighth round. For sure. Actually, the best pick you can make in fantasy football in 2020. That that, That might be true. Being drafted as the wide receiver 43, this man has legitimate wide receiver one upside in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we're both pretty bullish, I think, on the Giants offense this year in general, but... You know, I look at Darius Slayton as a guy whose role is so different from Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, who are very similar players. And we just saw it. You know, he flashed it at times. I think the shine is off of him in some ways because he wasn't quite as prolific as Terry McLaurin or DK Metcalf or another wide receiver rookie who I can't think of right now that was really good, but AJ Brown, AJ Brown. Yes. Thank you. AJ Brown. Darius Slayton though, is a guy who is very, you know, showed very impressive flashes as a rookie and as a sophomore with a defined role as the big play deep threat, all the athletics that you, that you could want the the metrics, it's all there for Slayton. And I think that, you know, the world is his to be taken and, you know, Godius is going to win us a lot of money this year in best ball, in DFS, and in the 2021 offseason when Adam Levitan comes on our podcast because he loses a bet to me that Slayton outperformed Sterling Shepard. <laughs> yeah, enough said. Enough said. Give me your worst pick to close things out uh, in round eight for this podcast. Yeah, so another guy that I just I just don't see why he is going here, and that's Antonio Gibson, rookie running back for the Washington football team. Now, I think he is just being drafted at his ceiling at this point, which I would advise against doing. I wouldn't draft players at their ceiling. He's being drafted as a low-end RB3 at this point. And it's just a guy that, you know, he wasn't a running back in college. He's making a positional change to a harder league, obviously from college to the NFL, um, only 77 career touches, only 33 career rushing attempts at Memphis. That's where he went to college. I just don't see how this guy is worth an eight round pick. I, I, I just can't fathom drafting Antonio Gibson in the eighth round. Am I wrong? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that the only Washington football team running back that you can draft is Bryce Love because his price is so affordable that if you miss, it doesn't really hurt you. But, you know, both Peterson and Gibson are going at prices that are just not good. Like, these guys are all going to get a shot. But Antonio Gibson's shot is, you know, his upside is what? Getting like five to six attempts per week and like four to five targets. Like it's just not enough. And, you know, March and April best ball leagues when you could get him in the 15th and 16th round, you know, moving up seven rounds into the the top eight is just egregious. One of the worst picks in all of fantasy, I think. Yeah. I mean, well said. I, I definitely agree that he is one of the worst picks that you can make this year in fantasy football. If he continues to see his ADP rise, just just nonsense, uh, just a terrible pick. And like you said, this this is a guy where we'll project for him to probably, you know, at best see eight touches a game. And you're just going to need more out of a running back that you're drafting 
in the top eight rounds. Yeah, I mean, like you're drafting him ahead of like Tariq Cohen, who's legit going to get like 80 catches. Like, yeah, just yeah, do, I don't do better. I don't understand. My least favorite pick, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts because this is traditionally, I would say, over the last like two years, been one of the guys you really liked, and that's Marlon Mack. And it's a different situation now. So, you know, I'll give you room to to push back on that. But, you know, Marlon Mack going at pick 90.8, it's just going to be a no-go for me. I mean, this is a dead man walking if I've ever seen one. Jonathan Taylor is just going to blow this man's role away from the offense entirely. I, I would be surprised if he saw half of the touches he saw last year. And he's not a receiving back. He's not going to make up for it, even in a way that I think Naheem Hines can in the same backfield. Jonathan Taylor is just so much better. His talent is going to shine through. He's going to be behind one of the best offensive lines. And I don't think it'll be four weeks before Taylor is, you know, seeing 80% of the attempts in this offense. Okay. I mean, Marlon Mack is tricky, okay, because he is being drafted as the cutoff of the RB3 at RB36, right after Antonio Gibson. Now, do I think he finishes higher than his ADP right now. I I do. I think Marlon Mack is a talented running back. And I I think that a lot of people are believing that Jonathan Taylor is going to assume the heavy duty uh, workhorse running back role in Indianapolis. I just don't think that's true. I think there is a realistic possibility that Jonathan Taylor sees 15 to 20 touches a game. But I also think there is a significant possibility that Marlon Mack touches the ball 12 to 13 times a game. I think both things can be true. And that's what I think is going to happen this year. Obviously, they've came out and stated that Marlon Mack is going to be the starter in week one. And a lot of us project for that not to last, you know, the whole season. But I still think Marlon Mack will have, you know, some standalone value in fantasy football this year because I still believe that he is a talented running back and you know he would have been he would have been drafted in the top two rounds had they not drafted Jonathan Taylor obviously they did so that means nothing but he would have been an easy second round pick and and that's because I think people know that he has some talent to him you know that's fair, I suppose. But uh, just with the Jonathan Taylor thing, I think it changes everything. You know, some people say he is, you know, the best running back talent to come out in a long time or, or, you know, put him sort of like right below that Saquon Barkley tier of being, you know, just an absolutely amazing talent. You know, that's not my game. I'm not a talent evaluator, but I'll trust the fact that it's basically a consensus. You know, I don't hear any Jonathan Taylor detractors out there. So I'm going to assume that this dude is the real deal. And I think that playing behind this offensive line in this offense, it's won't be long before he shows that. And the camp reports echo that as well. So I'm all on Jonathan Taylor, all out on Marlon Mack. And Joey, this is the longest podcast we've recorded in quite some time. So I think we will cut it off here and get to the second half rounds 9 through 16 and and some more late round thoughts on how you can target these redraft leagues on our next podcast, which is going to draft tomorrow on Friday if you're hearing this you know, on Thursday when it comes out. So thank you all for listening. Joey said it at the top of the show. Best way to support us is, you know, follow on any and all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, all that good stuff. We are everywhere. YouTube as well. Ton of video content coming this NFL season. And yeah, so so keep an eye out for part two of this episode. And don't forget to follow our personal Twitters as well. You can find me at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. 
You can find me on Twitter at DFS. And that's going to be it for us, guys. We will be back tomorrow.